Hello and welcome to CAA Conversation. Today we have Kelly Mundak Kai and Daniel Yemens. The topic will be virtual cross-cultural collaboration. Daniel Yemen is an assistant professor at Virginia Commonwealth University's campus in Cutters. Kelly Mundak Kai is an assistant professor at University of Michigan's STEM School of Art and Design. They have been working together for six years on a series of cross-cultural collaborations connecting the student in the United States and Middle East together to explore wicked problems such as water sustainability. Thanks so much for the introduction. So as you just heard, our work together spans across six years of collaborations between students located in Qatar and the United States. And I just want to emphasize that, as Bobby mentioned, our students are collaborating through digital and virtual means. In a lot of cases, these kinds of collaborations only happen with students who are participating in a physical, like face-to-face -face study abroad program. So Danielle and I are really trying to make this experience accessible and push the boundaries of what it means to bring students and cultures together. Right, so initially the collaboration began with a simple desire to bring two classes together to work on a design project. But over the years, the importance of understanding the outcomes and impacts of these collaborations has become apparent to Kelly and I. These collaborations not only impact practice by helping students develop certain professional competencies, but also hopefully raises their awareness about unconscious bias and how this impacts us as designers. Yes, hopefully, right? Right. Um, it's their job as faculty, we think, to help make them, you know, find these connections because students don't innately make that leap for themselves. We really take for granted that they might get it and a lot of them don't. So we have to work as educators to help them get there. Yeah, so we're talking about our experience combining the concept of redirective practice with international design collaboration and what we've discovered so far in terms of cross-cultural learning. So when we talk about intercultural design collaboration, that's a phrase we're using a lot, what we mean is a cross-cultural exchange that can take place really between any kind of designers. So visual, spatial, product, or digital designers could work together in this way. Intercultural design collaboration for us involves a shared approach to gathering information, making decisions. Um, doing creative production, engaging in critique, and of course, <laughs> developing design solutions. Danielle and I have developed some exercises to help our students with this process. These include things like uh, self-reflection and activities that involve some stream of consciousness brainstorming sessions, which our students use to write down ideas and impressions of the other culture. And the dialogue generated by these activities helps students confront and move past their initial stereotypical impressions of the other culture. So the dialogue generated by these activities helps students confront and move past their initial stereotypical impressions of the other culture. This can help put students at ease with the idea of the collaboration and encourages partners to establish a rapport. But when we get these things started, a lot of times the first impressions are pretty stereotypical. Yeah, there's a <laughs> lot of work to be done. Everything from Kelly's students' impressions of the Middle East as riddled with war and mine worried about the stereotypes of Arabs as terrorists in the United States. Or things like um, all Americans either love bacon or are vegans with nothing in between. 
that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> We've also experimented with a series of methods to partner our students. So in addition to sort of priming them for the collaboration, there's this idea that you know, how we put the students together could matter. So we've experimented with that in a number of ways. So these range from pairing our students based on things like personality traits to giving students the ability to choose their partners based on a shared interest in a topic. Like, for example, one semester we had our students looking at water sustainability. So they were all choosing subtopics of that larger problem. And other times we've had a much broader theme. So we will tell the students that the class focuses on sustainability as a broad topic. And within that, there's a huge range of possible subtopics for them to explore. So looking at those as ways to bring teams of students together. We found that students who share a basic familiarity with design research and processes are often able to work together and communicate more easily based on these shared uh, professional vocabularies and the sort of common background in terms of training. So that's been one of the interesting benefits of this work is finding these particular commonalities and really encouraging our students to use them. Right, exactly. Uh, another part of this process is that we've um, been looking at Edward T. Hall and his cultural analysis framework, and we found that it really helps our students bridge potential communication gaps. Mm -hmm. And what Hall does is he describes the representative differences between cultures on a low to high context continuum. And this describes the degree to which we're aware of what he calls a selective screen that we place between ourselves and the outside world. And this can include everything from communication to our personality dynamics and even our educational goals. So to kind of give you a frame of reference in his model, many Middle Eastern cultures could be described as high context cultures that prioritize the collective, while many North American cultures could be described as low context cultures that prioritize the individual. So for those of you who are interested in our research methodology, Daniil and I are using a grounded theory approach to compare our collective uh, qualitative data from these ongoing cross-cultural collaborations. We found grounded theory is really useful because it supports a process where findings can emerge through comparative analysis. And this totally applies to the research because we're basing it in these pedagogical environments and it's geared around these student collaborations and design scenarios. So grounded theory is great for taking into account the organic emergence of data and information. We're also looking at the work of designer and theorist Tony Fry. He has written a lot about what he calls redirective practice, saying that fundamentally design has to serve the creation of futures and be redirected towards sustainability. This creation of futures is really important for me and Daniil. And I think also considering that from a historical perspective, design is traditionally viewed as something that drives desire. And so thinking about how this shapes futures, we're proposing a model that suggests that design could drive desire in a new way. And designers can wear multiple hats, not just doing commercial work. Uh, designers could also le learn to approach traditional roles in new ways through redirective practice. 
Something else that Fry writes about is that redirective practice elevates the seriousness, importance, and futuring potential of design and goes on to say that it takes design beyond a disciplinary model, which is something that we're really trying to do with this work. Right, that's right. And so the introduction of redirective practice into the design classroom, we think can expose students to critical contemporary topics that could greatly benefit from successful design, including local economies, ecological issues, cultural preservation, and even global relationships. So when we're working together on redirective practices and topics, students can benefit from sharing first-person experience, and they can learn hands-on problem-solving with partners from other cultures. And we found the cross-cultural aspect reinforces the feeling that we're all in this together and makes the topics much more meaningful for students in our classrooms. So we began to also outline for students how experience working with these redirective topics can make them more valuable to employers. For instance, um, if you look at the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, also called UNESCO, uh, they're outlining important areas in terms of the future of higher education. So not specifically design education, but we think these things are really important and transferable. So they're looking at opportunities for research and learning about sustainable, sustainable development. And this isn't design specific again, but uh, they're, they're talking about things like human-centered design research methodology and developing systems-based awareness and thinking, learning to approach complex problems and devise creative solutions. And something that I think is a really important one, identifying the impacts of human actions, which should be happening more in our design classrooms. So engaging in most of these activities, particularly within their cross-cultural pairs or teams, helps our students hone interpersonal skills on top of all of this. So they're, they're engaged in this stew of different methods and approaches, and at the same time, learning to navigate this space by talking and working together. Yeah, and so I think for Kelly and I, we really believe that challenging students to consider audiences and users in different cultural contexts through redirective practice will prepare them for future collaborations designing with and for other cultures. So in this regard, students should be challenged to consider the local global conversation in a new and more relevant way. So for instance, the topic of water sustainability that Kelly mentioned earlier is a very different conversation in the Great Lakes region of the United States than it is here in Doha. Absolutely. And bringing these perspectives together through lively conversation and discussion and collaboration offers our students really meaningful opportunities for growth. They're considering things from a perspective that they never even knew existed before. We want to emphasize to our students and really have them understand that they don't necessarily have to go into the nonprofit sector to be part of this redirective conversation. And instead, they can take the concepts of redirective practice with them into the current landscape of design firms and ad agencies and in-house positions and really think about it as a way to shape the future of design practice from within. Exactly. 
think we believe it's important for students to understand and reflect on what they are learning in order to begin to understand the importance of the impact they aim to make. And this can be a challenge when students want to complete a project and sort of simply move on. And we've begun to look at ways to engage students in the process of evaluation to try and counter that. And we're trying to acclimate them to this idea that projects can and should continue after the semester is over. And we're seeing some positive benefits from this. And many of the topics have started to carry over into senior capstones or senior, in senior thesis explorations. Yeah, it's been really encouraging to see that trend and applying the approaches that we've the approaches we've described within a collaborative design environment also further encourages our students to develop new levels of communication proficiency for themselves. So they're not only thinking about this conversation with their partners and dialoguing, but they're also thinking about how they're articulating their own design ideas. And this is all happening in conjunction with them developing greater curiosity and interest in terms of working with topics and working with other cultures. There's a lot going on, a lot of moving parts. And we see this development of respect for each other's place and each other's differences as an important first step toward shaping the future of a new kind of practice. But students need to establish self-awareness before they can kind of cultivate that respect. Yeah, that's true. And so I think from a faculty perspective, I think we can say that their progress and self-awareness can be evidenced in the feedback we collect during the course of our semesters together, and that we're looking to see this sort of clear growth, not only at the individual level, but that students are really showing an excitement about the work together they're doing with the other class, and hopefully really seeing the value in the cultural exchange. And we also find that by the end of the term, both classes are actually eager to share their outcomes with others beyond the classroom. And they do this through things like project testing, presentations, and public exhibitions. So instead of sort of one-off design artifacts that they might have become accustomed to creating in a lot of their other design classes, we're hoping that students who are involved in these collaborations start to see design as, approach, as an approach to uh, system thinking in a cross-disciplinary and cross-cultural sense. So the things that they're thinking about and the systems and services and experiences that they end up making are really transcending a lot of different boundaries. And this is necessarily helping them build competencies that we hope are going to help them shape the future of professional practice. So how can we use our educational environment to really push what's happening next and expanding students' perspectives of what the practice of design from a meta view can really entail. So we're not doing this to create efficient pixel pushers for today but to help develop radical, game-changing designers for tomorrow. That's right. So the, the creative solutions for one context will not be the same for the other, and that's okay. And our students are learning what it means when we make assumptions about other people and other religions, other cultures, gender identities, races, creeds. And that's important to examine their own core beliefs. 
although they're coming from different countries, cultures, experiences, and cities, we hope that after the collaboration, they start to consider how their personal context may impact the work they make in the future. So as educators, Daniil and I hope to continue conversations about how we can show up more actively in our classrooms, really thinking and rethinking how we approach design pedagogy as a designed experience, and that that can have lasting impact on not only the work that our students make, but how they can learn to show up as uh, professionals, as participants in this practice, and as people. We really hope that they can learn through this experience to become more sensitive and aware, but also to become better allies for each other. And um, using collaboration and design to push our future forward. That's great. Uh, thank you, guys. So I do have a question. Um, how did this all start? Daniil I mean, had I... moved to <laughs> Dubai, and I was living in San Francisco. And I saw a Facebook update from Daniil posting a photo of her place in Dubai. And I had, since I had just started teaching at the University of San Francisco, I was looking for some interesting opportunities for pushing design pedagogy further. So I, I literally sent her a Facebook message saying, hey, do you think you might want to collaborate sometime? And that's what started this whole thing. And we, we've been keeping it going across. I've, this is now the fourth school where I've been, and we're kicking off a collaboration here next semester. And Neil has taken this collaboration with her to two different universities in the Middle East. So we've really been trying to uh, not only evolve the collaboration and learn from each iteration, but also to um, keep it, you know, keep the thread running as we've shifted places uh, for work and our changes in cities and time differences. <laughs> so it's right. been a very evolutionary process. And I think the world has changed quite a lot over the past six years, as we all kind of know. And and some of those topics and issues kind of surrounding us and our students have become so sort of relevant to examine together that Kelly and I kind of moved from like, oh, this could be fun, interesting thing mm -hmm. for our students to this is needed, this is necessary, this can help our students navigate the world um, and really grow in some wonderful ways. Yeah, I think, I mean, we really like this idea that um, you don't have to have this big budget to do a study abroad program, or you don't have to kind of confine yourself to thinking, oh, two of my students get this experience because they get accepted to a program, but that mm -hmm. how can we really do this for all of our students, regardless of sort of their financial circumstances or their personal or cultural um, circumstances that may kind of keep them from being able to visit one another. So like, how can we have these top, you know, these topics be brought into the classrooms? Um, yeah, regardless of, uh, of sort of circumstantial components. We feel really strongly that intercultural collaboration should be a component of all design curricula. So 
I think that's part of the reason that we've carried this with us across different schools and cities, like I was talking about earlier, because we feel like students need to be exposed to this. And it's really not feasible from, you know, a financial, social, cultural, logistical, bureaucratic perspective for a lot of students to study abroad. I mean, I've taught at schools where, you know, students don't do it just because it's just too hard to transfer credits afterward, or they're not going to get credit for the semester abroad, so they don't do it. And I think there's also a perception in the United States, especially right now, that there are some countries where it's safe to go and others where it's not. And, you know, Daniil and I want to try to break down some of those preconceived notions that are happening at a you know large view and then, you know, bringing things to a personal level really changes the conversation and perceptions for the students who participate in this. Yeah, absolutely. And I think really just exploring the helping our students with cultural literacy, with unconscious bias, with uh, examining self, all really do mix together in this wonderful concoction of learning that we believe is really important and needed for the you know, designers um, who are going to engage in this world. Mm -hmm. And I think most of our students are super excited for the opportunity to do it. You know, it, it has the same sort of joy, I guess, that something like mm -hmm. opening an envelope from a foreign pen pal would bring. You know, it's like, whoa, what is this? It has this, you know, sort of mystique around it when they first begin and then they start working together and they get spurred on by their sort of individual connection and investment in each other. So it's really great to see that unfold and also just, you know, seeing seeing their enthusiasm for working together. It usually involves, you know, there's some legwork because of the time zones and um, time differences. And we're not usually able to even schedule classes that overlap. We've only had that happen one time over all the different times we've done this. So you know, a lot of times the students are trying to figure out like who's going to stay up late and who's going to get up early in order for them to actually have like face-to-face -face dialogue. But they do it inevitably because they feel very strongly about making that personal connection. Thank you so much, guys. This is such a wonderful project. I'm glad that like you guys were able to talk about this. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for this opportunity. 